1: this, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. Ah! On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi.
2: Ah! What? okay, cool. Here
3: we go, Thursday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borkey. Brian Scott Rippy's in the studio with Borky in Jackson as well. Brian Haydad will join us a little bit later this afternoon. Glad to have you along for the ride. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com. What is it that you need with regard to land? You're going to build a dream home? Maybe you're looking for hunting property? Good fishing hole? Or maybe it's... Just a spot to get away. Well, Mississippi Land Bank, if you're in North Mississippi, can help with all of those things. They've got branch offices spread out all across the northern part of the state. You can find their website, mslandbank.com. When you go there, you can find those branch locations. You can also grab a phone number to give them a call. Talk to them, and they can help you with whatever it is that you need with regard to land financing. At Mississippi Land Bank, they know the lay of the land. Glad to have you along. You can uh, you can text the show. Text us on the text toy Six oh one eight seven nine four three nine five. Do me a favor. T- tell me who you are when you send us a text as well. It's easier to uh, call folks by name. As a code. you probably don't want me giving your phone number out over the uh, over the air. You can also tweet us at Sports Talk M I S S. Happy Thursday, Michael Borky. Hey, happy Thursday. What's
4: up, man? How'd it go yesterday? Everything good? Well, I still have a job, so it could have been worse.
3: <laughs> I I always if I com- you're so understated on those. It's like I'm more than anything. I'm just kind of curious what you guys did on the show yesterday. Yeah, well, we did. you are right like, much. oh, I didn't get fired. Oh, okay, yeah, I,
4: but I always you're not getting fired. Every time I fill in and I come to work the next morning and nobody says anything to me, I know that I'm okay. I've had a couple of times, and a couple years ago, where I came in on Monday and I was told that either that wasn't very good, or you need to not say that again. I haven't had one of those in a couple of years, so maybe I need to get out of my own head. Does that
3: mean bosses are not listening, or See, that's what I you're actually doing a good job? I think it's probably the former rather than the latter, but <laughs> I don't know. Rippy, did he do a good job?
2: Kind of, kind of uh, playing quarterback yesterday. Yeah, I think so. We talked about hippies and grass during my segment.
3: <laughs> oh, jeez. See,
2: that's that's the thing. It's like it goes in a different direction. It's
3: hippies, it's grass, it's black well, panthers, which maybe because... all three of those things go together.
4: Richard, because have you seen the renderings for the new Oakland A's stadium? Yes. Clash? Yeah, and I thought that it was a little over the top. It looked like a hobbit hole, and they need all that grass and fruity park stuff to make all the hippies in California happy a hobbit hole yeah it looks like where bilbo baggins lives
3: <laughs> jeez i thought it was a pretty cool design I, it, to me if you can pull off something unique in stadium design at this point then you're you're doing something i it didn't look to me like there was that much green space around the new stadium i thought it was right on the water i thought it was the the coliseum that they were going to tear down and they had to create a green space there and like a tech hub and all that good stuff yeah, everything's a tech hub there well yeah it's that's true uh, that's a uh, a good point. Greg and Nettleton on the Ceasefire text line says Borky was great. Far out, man. <laughs> I have to believe that's the voice that he typed that in. <laughs> um, kind of a busy day today. College football season, except for championship games and a few games that have gotten rescheduled, is over, and so that means uh, you've got hiring going on. You have firing going on, and then you have replacing going on, and one of the big stories today seems to be that Cliff Kingsbury has agreed in principle to a deal to be the offensive coordinator at the University of Southern California. Now, there were a couple of outlets that reported that, and then you had several NFL guys who were like, whoa, 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 no, I've talked to somebody, this is not a done deal yet. And then you had some subsequent reporting from NFL guys, Gil Brandt included, that said yeah, I mean, nothing's official until the ink dries on these deals, but it looks like this is going to happen. That's a good hire for Clay Helton at Southern
4: Cal, isn't it? I mean, that's huge, right? Because, one, he's a bad season away from losing his job, but even though it didn't work out at Texas Tech, Cliff Kingsbury has scored points on everybody, and he's coached three Heisman Trophy winners. One of them transferred away from his program, but still, he coached three Heisman Trophy winners at quarterback. Yeah. So he's got
3: a track record. You would have to think that that would be good for JT Daniels, to have a guy like Cliff Kingsbury kind of coaching that position. And unlike some places where you know, you're know you throwing the ball all over the place, Southern Cal should be able to get defensive players and, and have a decent defense to go along with an explosive offense. If they get that combination, then all of a sudden USC is a little scary again. If not, then they'll all be looking for jobs next year. I am surprised that he didn't wait for the NFL. Maybe he likes college
4: football. Yeah, and, maybe, and not everybody wants to go coach in the NFL. That I think even though that's the ultimate goal for most coaches, that's not a, a line of thinking that applies to everybody. Not everybody mm-hmm. wants to go coach in the NFL. But the Dallas Cowboys are probably looking for an offensive coordinator this offseason, and he's a Texas guy. Well.
3: Yeah, that could be the case, uh, assuming Jason Garrett holds on to his job as the uh, as the head coach when it's all said and done. But look, I mean, it, it, it's set up. Even if they don't win tonight, which I don't think they're going to, the Cowboys are really in the best spot of anybody in the NFC East to win that division. If They win the division and get to the playoffs and maybe win a playoff game. Are you going to fire Jason Garrett? I mean, the the amount of patience that Jerry Jones has shown with Jason Garrett is pretty close to unparalleled with Jay, with Jerry Jones. He's got a couple compromising photographs or something. Perhaps. Perhaps that's but, the case. But, I mean, they're going to win their division.
4: They're going to kind of back their way into it because
3: Washington lost Alex Smith, but still they're going to win their division. Yeah. Giants obviously can't get to him. Philadelphia, a shell of what it was a year ago when it, uh, when it won the Super Bowl. So, you know, another uh, rumor... Report floating around is that Hugh Freeze has um, uh, interviewed for the offensive coordinator position on Jeremy Pruitt's staff at Tennessee. That could be interesting.
4: It's interesting for – I think the biggest reason – we touched on this yesterday a little bit – is what kind of precedent is Sankey setting now where if he blocks Hugh Freeze's ability to coach for Alabama – but a year later lets him coach for Tennessee, is that now saying that, well, if you decimate a program, it's a one-year secret suspension. So the message that's sending is is interesting to me. And, and number two is I think he w- he's a good football coach. But if I'm Jeremy Pruitt, I say get off Twitter. No more public speaking appearances. You come here, you coach football, you do nothing else. You don't read your mentions on social media. You just get off of the internet and coach ball for me. If you can't do that, I don't want you on my staff.
3: Seems like Jeremy Pruitt is, as best he can, emulating Nick Saban. And Nick Saban lets his coordinators talk twice. They talk once before the season, and they talk before the playoff because it's mandated that you allow coordinators and players to talk to the media. That's just part of the the deal set up for the college football playoff. Uh, I would imagine that Jeremy Pruitt handles things much the same way. You know, I don't know if you treat somebody differently, if they've been a head coach or not, uh, but my guess is that um, that would be the case with Jeremy Pruitt. And look, I mean, that's, that's not a unique thought. And there are people that are close to Hugh Freeze who have said to him, get off Twitter, leave the social media alone. Um, so I don't know. We'll see where that goes, and and I also don't know about your your statement about Greg Sankey. I uh, I I know for a fact that Greg Sankey said a year ago, no, uh, no Alabama, you're not hiring him. No Missouri, you're not hiring him. Um, that that is true. That's a fact. Um, since the NCAA investigation is over. And the bowl ban is now over for roll miss. It may be that the commissioner says, okay, since that is complete, and I can't in good conscience keep you from coaching in the league anymore. You know, I, I think Greg Sankey's stance a year ago was, can, can Hugh freeze coach in the SEC again? Oh, sure. Somewhere down the line. But while there is an investigation going that is active that, Happened on Hugh Freeze's watch almost exclusively, and Ole Miss is going through a bowl ban. You can't look up and you've got Hugh Freeze on the sideline calling plays for a team playing in the national championship game. That's not a look that, as a league, they were comfortable with. But maybe now, since it's all over, you say, you know, I don't like it, but there's nothing we can really do about it. Yeah, and I don't
4: think you have to worry about Tennessee playing in the national championship game next year.
3: No, no, I don't think that uh, that's the case at all. Uh, we've got a bunch to get to this afternoon. Uh, Lee Sterling from Paramount Sports will join us a little bit later. Lee is, uh, this weekend, he is releasing one of those monster plays. You remember a few weeks back he released a 100-unit play. It was the largest ever release that they had done at, uh, at Paramount Sports. Well, this weekend he's got a 50-unit play. Uh, he only leases, releases just a handful of those a year. And uh, he's going to uh, talk a little bit more about that, plus handicap some of the games that are coming up this weekend, including the SEC Championship game. We're going to spend some time with John Harris from the Houston Texans. Always enjoy our visits with old Johnny Football. He's the, the Johnny Football that really knows what's going on. We'll talk some NFL and some college with him, plus uh, plenty more with uh, Rippey and Hayden. Let's talk some old Miss basketball with Brian Scott Rippey when we come back right here at the Renaissance Bank Studio. Back on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Good to have you along on this Thursday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippy, Brian Haydad coming up a little bit later in the show this afternoon. Hoops last night. Ole Miss hosted San Diego at the Pavilion. Talked to some folks that were at the game. I know Rippy was there. And they said pretty good crowd for the game last night. An
2: att- announced attendance of just under 6,000. Um, was it a good crowd? Yeah, I thought it was all right for a Tuesday night. And that's kind of back-to-back ones. where I, The one I noticed in particular was last week at Nichols where it, it filled up you know, for a Tuesday in November more than I expected. Last night, of course, a Wednesday. But my point being weekday crowd, yeah, I, di- I didn't think it was bad at all. I thought it filled up okay. Ole Miss beats a San Diego team that came in five and one. Final was
3: 93 to 86. Rebels led by two at the half. Uh, they outscored San Diego by five in the second half for the seven-point win. Ole Miss now four and two on the year, uh, leading the way from a scoring standpoint. Brian Tyree had 22 points. Terrence Davis had 20 points, nine assists, and four rebounds. Blake Henson had four points. Devonte Shuler had. Uh, I'm sorry. Henson had 15, Schuler had 13 and KJ Buffett another freshman had 15. So, what were your takeaways last night?
2: Well, one is that San Diego is a pretty good basketball team and Kermit Davis talked about this a little bit on Monday before the game and then a little bit after the game. He you know, he's, he told some players after the game he hopes they get in get in the tournament because that's a team that can win a game in the tournament because they have, you know, a lot of guys uh, a lot of fifth-year seniors, a lot of maturity, and a, and a couple really good players. So, you know, Ole Miss got up 16 and then kind of let, let off the gas in, in the second half and did kind of the same thing in the first half to where I think it was like a 12-4 run, something like that, that San Diego was able to cut it to two before halftime. But overall, I thought they played pretty well. Um, they kind of got the offense, particularly in the half court, back on track after a tough couple of games in Florida. And, you know, namely Terrence Davis, they kind of seemed to go as he goes. As an offense and and he was much better last night getting to the rim and that was really the first team that they've seen that plays you know almost strictly man-to-man and so they were a little bit quicker than San Diego off the bounce and 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 got the got to the rim a lot
3: with let's see about four and a half minutes to play in the game Ole Miss was up 16 with 435 to play they were ahead 79-63. With 17 seconds to play, I'm sorry, with 11 seconds to play, it was a five-point game and then a couple of free throws. So Ole Miss did a pretty good job at the free throw line down the stretch to to be able to hang
2: on for the win, right? They did. They did a decent job, but they turned it over a couple of times, and and San Diego made a couple of three-point baskets that, that really made it close. So while they were all right at the free throw line, not, not great kind of handling some of their late-game pressure. Um, that that kind of kept San Diego in it for a while, particularly literally down to the last ten, 5 or 10 seconds of the game. Yeah, just looking at the
3: play-by-play, in the last minute 12, so the last 72 seconds, Ole Miss made 12 consecutive free throws to, uh, to hang on for the win. Um, you, you've seen this team now a few times, and not to make any... Oh, I don't know. Big sweeping generalizations about the season or, or where it's going because I, you know, it's a long season, and there are a lot of good teams that are on the schedule, and the SEC is not an easy league this year. But what, what's the what's the ceiling for this Ole Miss team in year one for
2: Kermit Davis? That's a tough question to answer before you get to league play, because you mentioned the SEC is stacked, but. I mean, I think, and I've said this, I've said the same thing. I feel like over and over again talking about. I'm like they're going to compete in most games they play in because they play. I mean, they play hard on defense. They don't always play great defense, but they play really hard. They guard really hard, and they have enough scoring. So I don't really know what the what the ceiling is. I mean, I I think, I think you can they play 500 ball in the league. That might be the that might be a good ceiling if they played really really well maybe like I, I would put that as probably the top just because they're the the top to bottom of the SEC is going to be so good this year it's going to f- be hard to find wins night in and night out but maybe not quite five hundred maybe in the seven to eight win range somewhere around there yeah. I would consider that pretty good but I mean you know you catch a break or two or something like that maybe you get to five hundred but I would I would definitely cap it you know no further than there yeah um. Nine and nine would be five hundred in league
3: play. So seven and eleven, maybe a possibility. Who knows? We'll, we'll see how this thing uh, this thing goes along. I will say this, and this is kind of—I've not actually seen this team in person yet. I've watched a couple of their games on TV, but my schedule hasn't matched up with their schedule. There seems to be an uptick in interest. Like like people are talking about Ole Miss basketball, and people are talking about Kermit Davis, and. I don't think it's like in an impatient way where it's like, oh, you got to win right now. But I think people are early on seeing, okay, I kind of like philosophically what they're doing offensively. I like what they're doing on the defensive end and how hard they're playing. Is that a function of people really being interested in basketball, or is it a function of Ole Miss fans are desperately looking for something
2: to latch on to, to be excited about, and to be proud of? Probably a little bit more the latter and a combination of it, as you kind of mentioned, it's a, it's a little bit more visually appeasing style of play to kind of, especially an untrained eye, right? Because I mean, when a- Andy Kennedy's kind of system, you know, when it went bad, it, it looked pretty bad. And so, you know, you see more effort and kind of more attention to detail on the defensive end. And, you know, after, after you know, a lot of years of that not always being the case, I think that will naturally generate some, some a little bit of buzz and excitement. But I, I think it's probably more the latter of, of the, you know, Ole Miss fan base kind of Wanting something to latch onto that, that seemingly has, I guess, hope for the lack of a better word.
3: 601 879 4395. That's the C Spire text line. C Spire reminds you not to text and drive. C Spire, customer inspired. KVC says, Ole Miss has a bright future in basketball with Kermit Davis. They actually look like a team. And he followed it up with Ole Miss has got to have something to talk about because it can't be football, uh, right now. So, um, bigger picture and, and Borky, you haven't really locked in on basketball yet, have you? Or or have you been following kind I'm of across to. the league? I'm trying to.
4: I haven't as much as I would like to. But that as the calendar turns and the bowl games end, I will focus more. But, yeah, I've been pretty engaged.
3: Well, here's kind of what I'm getting at. So much buildup about the SEC and how good the league was going to be on the heels of eight teams in the NCAA tournament, which was a conference record a year ago. And then... You get to this season, and there there are a few bad losses, but it's, it's not a ton of bad losses for the league. But every time there's been an opportunity to get a really big win, it hasn't happened. Uh, you go back to the opening night. Arkansas lost in overtime to Texas. Uh, LSU last week down in Orlando lost in overtime to Florida State. That's a good Florida State team, a veteran Florida State team. Uh, You know, Duke ran Kentucky out of the building when they played on the opening night of the season. Um, Tennessee was close with Kansas last week in in New York at Barclays Center, but they couldn't get it done. Is that concerning for you, Borky, right now, or or for you, Rippy, to kind of look at this right now and say, maybe it's not as good as we were giving it credit for?
4: Not yet, but I do... I mean, you've had a couple of injuries now. Missouri's not going to be who you were expecting them to be because of an injury. Now Vanderbilt lost presumably their best player due to season-ending injury. And Alabama has... I mean, they were carried by Colin Sexton a year ago, and they don't have Colin Sexton on that team right now. So maybe the depth won't be there because of that, but isn't it just too early to to say that they're underachieving? Even though I guess the only way to gauge their competitiveness with other conferences is how they perform against them. It's just, it's still November. And, and I don't want to, especially Kentucky, who, as you mentioned, got blown out by Duke. Isn't it always a general rule that Kentucky will peak at the end of February and not worry about what they're
3: looking like in November? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's fair. Um, the, the problem for Kentucky to this point has been they've been terrible defensively. Going into their game last night with Monmouth, Kentucky was allowing their six opponents to hit an average of 10 threes a game, and they were shooting shooting 43% from behind the arc and giving up like 75 points a game. They've just been brutal defensively. Now, last night against Monmouth, who was 0-7 going in, they played by far their best defensive game of the year, not because it was Monmouth, just kind of the way they played the game, and they won by 46 so, yeah, I don't think it's it's time to uh, to bail on Kentucky just yet. and I don't think it's time to bail on Tennessee. Auburn, to me, has been the most impressive team in the SEC so far this year. Without Purifoy. That's right. Uh, they get him back after nine games. So, what, Auburn's played six or so. Uh, so they'll have D'Angelo Purifoy coming back, uh, which will give them, at that point, 10 scholarship players, I think. It's either 9 or 10 scholarship players. They're still not terribly deep, but they do have a veteran group. Um, we've talked a little bit about this. We'll do it coming up next. I think it was yesterday. Mississippi State officially, maybe earlier today, Mississippi State officially released its baseball schedule. We'll talk about that coming up. We've got the old Miss Baseball schedule as well. And, uh, kind of peek ahead to February. We're inside 100 days to the start of the college baseball season, which is kind of crazy to think about. More coming up. Renaissance Bank Studio. You, Pretty good Thursday night football game coming up tonight in Big D. New Orleans takes their 10 and 1 record, best in the NFC to Dallas. Cowboys are 6 and 5, playing a little better. I don't know if it's good enough. Borky, your level of excitement for this game on a scale of one to ten is
4: I like a five or six. I mean, they've they've really? played Yeah, they've played much more impactful games against much better opponents over the last few weeks. This one, yes, it's Dallas, which is the brand name. Yes, it's Thursday night, so they're getting the the national stage. But I mean, truthfully, it's a game that they should win, and they have played much more important games
3: over the last few weeks. True or false? The viewership tonight will be larger than the viewership for Cowboys Redskins on Thanksgiving Day. A week ago today. I'm
4: going to go false there. Okay. Just because Thanksgiving has the novelty aspect to it. But this
3: 30.8 million.
4: But this will be a, a massive number because you have America's team, and they are and. Suddenly, you've got this New Orleans Saints team that, despite being a small market team that doesn't bring numbers usually, you've got a 39-year-old quarterback playing the best football of his career in the middle of an MVP race, and everybody thinks this is the best team in America. I mean, they are scoring on 61% of their offensive possessions, which is the Mm. best mark since
2: 1974.
4: Insane. That really... The 07 Patriots are the next best at 54%. Goodness. A whole 7%
3: better than number two. Wow. Did you see earlier today, Stephen A. Smith from ESPN did his show from there? And he was decked out in Saints jersey, great big old black cowboy hat, and a raucous crowd behind him. So he was trolling the, uh, the Texas folks. But I mean, the crowd behind him, I mean, you got Steelers gear and Texas, you know, uh, Dallas gear, Saints gear. and folks love the NFL. I think, I think it was, um, I think it was Tuesday when we were in, uh, in Jackson or was that Monday? It's Tuesday for the, uh, the C-Spire Connerly trophy presentation. Hey, dad mentioned that as well. He's like, you know, the, the part of the country where we're in, college football is a really big deal. It's the biggest deal. But for the rest of the world, certainly for the rest of the United States, I mean, it resonates, but it's not even close to what the NFL does.
4: It's just a fraction. It is hard to describe, really, because in this country, people don't get it. It's it's so, the gap is so big that most NFL people don't even actually pay attention to college football. There are a lot of NFL people that don't. Did you mean in this part of the country? No, in the rest of the country. People in this part of the country don't understand that if you go to New York City, for example, everybody knows everything about the NFL. But if you ask them, hey, who's Tua tonga
3: You'd
2: be surprised at how few people know who he is. Yeah, that's a good point. Good point. I, I saw a clip the other day of somebody called into Mike Francesca's show and asked him to name three Alabama players and he couldn't do it. Yeah. So, like, to that point, <laughs> I think his response to the question was, it's not his job to uh, answer your questions, even though he's taking phone calls answering people's questions. What was it?
3: Uh, I mean, it, it's just a comedy of errors on uh, on Mike Francesca's deal, whether it's on the radio or on the, the app or, or whatever. I think it was – what was it somebody called in and asked about Dino Babers the other day?
4: Yeah, he you're, had... talking
3: about, you're talking about the college team in New York, Syracuse's coach playing a game in Yankee Stadium.
4: Uh he had no idea.
3: <laughs> hey Mike, uh, what do you think what do you think about Dino Babers? <laughs> uh, uh who? What we how the how the how the bleep am I supposed to what, what, what is this? A prank call? I <laughs> mean just it's it's uh it's pretty good stuff. That's uh my Francesa in New York. When hey
2: look, but to, to Borky's point that that shows just how you know how big how wide the reach the NFL is compared to college football.
3: Yeah. It's uh that's probably a good point. Uh Mississippi State officially released its baseball schedule today. Old Missus has been out for a while. We haven't talked a lot about it, maybe just kind of in passing. Um it, it's crazy. February fifteenth is opening day for baseball season. We're closing in on December 1st, so you got all of December, all of January. That's, what, 60 days, 75 days of the 15th? So we're like 75, 76, 77 days from the start of the college baseball season. That's crazy. Crazy. Highly think
4: anticipated
3: it. one around here, too, I think. Yeah, I think so. Um, Rippy, what will Ole mrs fans... Feeling be this year about the regular season?
2: I've had this conversation with a, with a lot of people over over the summer. I, I had a lot of people kind of like text me about this after really right after that kind of happened uh, at, at the end of last year, which unfortunately I wasn't there for. But you know, it it'll be interesting, right? It'll be a much different vibe in terms of the regular season than there's been in years past. I mean, it. it I mean, y'all may disagree, but doesn't it seem like? Their successes in the regular season will matter, or I guess I'll say their failures will matter because of how it props them up in the postseason. but it doesn't seem to me that any amount of success in the regular season will really move the needle for the fan base, I guess, for the lack of a better phrase. Like it'll be like to me from a fan base perspective, it'll all be about what happens in June. I think ultimately that's right.
3: But I don't think, and I've heard people allude to, oh, well, the, the fans are just going to kind of go through the motions in the regular season. I don't think that's going to be the case because this is going to, or at least on paper going into the year, it's a really good baseball team. And after winter is over, people are looking for a reason to get outside. And almost Miss baseball, not unlike Mississippi State baseball or Southern Miss baseball, is a fun event. It's kind of a happening deal. It's in some ways more of a family event than than basketball or football are. So I think the crowds will still be there. But your point about you know how people really feel about it, there's going to be a, there will certainly be a, well, let's see what they do in the postseason vibe to it.
2: Yeah, no, I, I'm really with you on that. I don't think it'll, I don't think it'll show in attendance or anything like that. But I guess if you're looking at it it's solely through the prism of, of how people kind of get attached to these teams, and, and you you saw Ole Miss had the early success last year and had a great regular season, and it seemed like people really got invested in in this team. And you kind of saw the same thing with State late in the year when you, when they got on a run. You know, people got really invested. To me, if Ole Miss has that similar type of success, people will be a little more hesitant to kind of get fully on board and invested until they kind of see a different result in the postseason, I guess is what I was trying to get at.
3: Yeah, uh, that, that's, that's reasonable schedule though Ole Miss opens with Wright state three game series middle of february they have arkansas state for a midweek game and then in week 2 of the season it's an interesting road trip going to new orleans to play Tulane in a three game series
2: is that is that good for ole miss early i don't know cuz it's tulane still so it kind of seems like a rebuilding program um but I mean, certainly certainly not a bad trip, and then you kind of have the your other half of the home, you a know, Long Beach State at home this year. The part of the schedule that's interesting to me is, you know, you're going to start SEC play with Alabama and Missouri, and to me that seems about, you know, you get Alabama at home and then Missouri on the road, that seems, you know, you want to talk about easing into the waters and kind of easing into your SEC slate, that seems like, a, a pretty pretty good way to do so, but things get real pretty quick where you go at Arkansas and then Florida and then Kentucky and Auburn over the next month, and then Mississippi State after that. Yeah, or excuse me, A and M. Sorry. Yeah,
3: there there are no easy weekends uh, once you you get into the SEC. So the road series for Ole Miss kind of looked at that the same ago, Once you get into league play, by the way, Long Beach State comes to town week three, and then it's UAB. A midweek series with Louisville leading into that opening series with Alabama. So Alabama is at home, um, back-to-back road series at Missouri, at Arkansas, Florida at home, Kentucky at home. Then Ole Miss goes to Auburn. They host Texas A&M. They go to LSU, host Mississippi State, and then finish out the regular season on the road at Tennessee. Yeah, we'll see what Tennessee is this year if they make any improvements but I would say that that's that's a team that you don't mind having in Week Ten, especially if you need some wins.
2: I would definitely agree with that. Um, you know, you'd obviously prefer it at home because you know things can kind of get tricky on the road. But no, I certainly, yeah. I mean, you'd, you'd rather have that than you know having to go to College Station like they've had to do a time or two in the past or, or something like that. I'm I'm with you on that one. A random note about the schedule is that you know Mike Bianca will play against two of his sons. You get that's Louisville right. and LSU. That's uh, that's right. So two games at Louisville in a
3: midweek and then a three-game series at uh, at LSU. All those will be on the road. So Ben Bianco last year was a backup catcher on Louisville's team. And then uh, Drew B- Bianco is going to be a freshman. I tell you what, if, if Drew Bianco had been there yesterday, or, or excuse me, last year, he would have been starting for LSU last year. Um, so... You've got uh, Southern Miss also has released their schedule. They opened with a three-game series against Purdue, traveled to Starkville in Week 2. Southern Miss got after Mississippi State to start the season a year ago, and then uh, they will return the trip to Starkville. Talk more about that coming up as well. It's Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio.
5: That night.
3: Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm just after 4 o'clock, Thursday afternoon, championship weekend on the horizon. Good to be with you, Richard, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippy. both of those guys are in Jackson today, and Brian Haydad is going to be joining us from Starkville. Did you say he's on, Borky? Or he's not? No, he's on. Oh. Oh. Sorry, Rippy's no longer with us,
0: but hey dad is, you know, they just called you old man Richard. Maybe that's the, uh, maybe that is the case. Starting to lose it, buddy. There it is. Sorry. I'm just trying to follow along. I, I, I thought, yeah, my bad. Um, so anyway, sports
3: talk brought to you by Mississippi Land Bank online mslandbank.com. Are you a farmer? Well, right now, if you are I'm not trying to stereotype here, just the majority of the farmers that I know right now, are focused on about two things. One of those things, deer. The other, ducks. But you know that after all the hard work that you put in, up through harvest, you get a little bit of a break, you get to exhale a little bit, do some maintenance, take care of some things on the farm, and it's hunting season. But before you know it, you'll be planning again. And not only will you be planting between now and then, you've got a lot of planning to do. And sometimes that's financial. Sometimes that has to do with loans. And Mississippi Land Bank can help. They can help with crop loans. They can help you refinance an existing loan. They can help you with equipment loans as you get ready for the new farming calendar here. Or maybe it's buying new land that you're going to add to what you're farming right now. So if you fit the bill there, if you're a farmer and you're getting ready to do some of those things financially, then give Mississippi Land Bank a call. Or stop by one of their branch locations in North Mississippi, visit with them about your needs, and see if there's a relationship that uh, can be mutually beneficial. I think you'll be glad you did, because they're fantastic people at Mississippi Land Bank. MSLandBank.com, where they know the lay of the land.
0: What's up, hey Dad? What's going on, man? How are you? How was Kentucky I am, last night?
3: Uh. It was good. Uh, Rupp Arena was impressive, I won, as always.
0: So, yeah, do what? I assume Kentucky won.
3: <laughs> yeah, by forty-six. Is that all? Yeah. Fire kinda, Calipari. Kind of, kind of pulled away in the uh, in the second half. You realize that they've only lost um, ten game. Uh, I'm sorry, eight games at Rupp Arena in the ten years that Cal's been there.
0: That's pretty darn impressive. It really is. I would love to know the 10. I know you probably don't know it off the top of your head, but i might have to look that up. Yeah. Well, it's eight. It's eight in ten years. Eight, okay. Okay. So, yeah, still. Um,
3: it is certainly a small number over the uh, the time that he's been there. But, no, it was, uh, it was a good trip and good to get back home. Uh, headed to the SEC Championship game tomorrow. Looking forward to that this weekend as well. Hey, we were talking a second ago. What do you think about the Georgia Tech job?
0: It's, that's a tough job. Uh, but it's got a high ceiling, I think. I don't know that you can uh, turn Georgia Tech into another Clemson and be a team that consistently year in and year out competes for the national title, but you you can be a consistent eight or nine win team. Now, whether that's good enough for their fan base, I don't know because they're going to see – it's really tough to be a Georgia Tech fan right now because you see the monster that Georgia is becoming and you know that they are about to be a a lot more of a national power than they've been in years past. So if you can get past that and just focus on Georgia Tech – then you have a chance to be successful. But uh, I think it's high because you've got a, a fertile recruiting ground. And I know Borky talks about the academic stuff, but at the end of the day, if, if a high-value elite prospect wants to go to Georgia Tech, they're going to find a way to get him into Georgia Tech. Sure. So I, think, I think it's got a high ceiling. We'll see who they bring in. I do agree with another thing Borky said. If they change – if they do like the full scale, we want to run more of a pro style or a passing offense – Next year is going to be sort of like what Arkansas was this year. It's going to be a really, really tough 2019 for Georgia Tech.
3: Yeah, and and I'm not sure that 2020 would be a whole lot better.
0: Yeah, I mean, It, it, it that's really that's a, that's takes a, a couple of
3: years to completely flip that roster. Yeah, um, yeah. B- Bill sent us a text on the C Spire text line. He said that he has said for years that he thinks Georgia Tech is a sleeping giant. He said now they can get an offense that is working this century, recruit well, and do big things he believes – I told him my only question about sleeping giant status was whether or not the resources and the commitment are there at Georgia yeah. Tech.
0: Well, I mean, I'm sure they got you know, that's the school that puts out a lot of, uh, of high dollar engineers. I'm sure they can they can get the commitment, you know, yeah. if they if they needed it to. Uh, the resources, I mean, we'll see, you know. You but you know the, the ability to recruit to Atlanta, I think that's an attractive thing. Now you got to get you know you want to recruit in Atlanta as well, but Kids outside of the state, you know, the chance to play college football in Atlanta, I think that I think that's an attractive thing.
3: Yeah, I would uh I would agree with that. All I know is if I went on an official visit and they didn't take me to the varsity to eat, I no, can hang so it overrated. up. I'm done. What? Overrated. I'm sorry. Oh yeah, I said it. Thanks for joining right. us today, hey Dad. We'll talk to you again down the line. I can't talk to you <laughs> <laughs> anymore. I, I can spend when, when zero time, time with in? you moving forward.
0: <laughs> How did, did you, you, you just say the varsity the is and
3: overrated?
0: And it's just—it's just a cheeseburger, man. It's all right.
3: I don't even eat the cheeseburger there. It's the chili cheese hot dog. Yes. See, I don't eat it. I don't do hot the chili dogs. dog with onion rings and an fo. No, no, no. Not oh, for me. My goodness. What do you have? What do you have? You better have that ready that order ready when you get to the counter, or they are yelling at you. I know, I know. Oh, I can't wait. I'm gonna try and get there in time for lunch tomorrow. If not lunch, it will be an afternoon snack. There you go. Two chili dogs, onion rings, and an FO. My mouth is lit- I mean, like my mouth is watering right now as I sit here thinking about that. Um. What about the Louisville mess? Uh, yeah, that was funny. I was in Kentucky yesterday, and obviously yeah. the Kentucky fans were—they um, were a bit amused with the news that Jeff Brom decided to stay at Purdue instead of coming home to resuscitate the uh, the Louisville program.
0: I was surprised. Normally, you know, when Mama calls, that's usually a pretty easy sell. Uh, maybe gives you an insight into how big the issues are at Louisville. Uh, maybe it's a, a bigger rebuild than Jeff Brom was willing to take on, and he feels like he's got a pretty stable situation. I think the more surprising news out of this to be is, are they really paying Jeff Brom $6 million a year? At Purdue? That's that's what At, I read. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's Big Ten. I mean, the, the, you're talking about budgets that are Purdue. comparable to the SEC. It's Yeah, but that, but that would be like – I'm trying to think. I mean, imagine if Kentucky jumped stoops up to like 7.5. I mean it just doesn't make you just well, wouldn't expect hold on it in Purdue. Is it really that no no you
3: wouldn't expect it, but like everybody else, you taste a little success and you get ready to open your wallet. I mean, hey dad, we're well, two true. years removed or three years removed from Dan Mullen
0: and Hugh Freeze both making almost five million. That's true, but Mullen didn't make that after his second season. And, you know, Mullen was not thirteen or twelve and thirteen or thirteen and twelve or whatever it is. That Brom is you know, Mullen. His second year, state finished in the top fifteen. And think about what he took over, though. I mean, if you're
4: if you are Purdue, you are in a very winnable division. And if you've got a guy that you think can actually elevate your program, six million dollars is worth it. It's completely and Mullen, worth
3: it. Mullen I, I never problem. had the bargaining chip either to get that kind of money early.
0: No, you're right. You're right. Well, he got. I wouldn't say the the raises I mean, he, that he Mullen he got were based job. on success. Yeah, I just. I'm just surprised to see Purdue paying a football coach six million dollars a year. That's just surprising to me. Yeah, I I don't disagree with you.
3: Yeah, and what is that?
0: But good for him, man. Good for him. If you can get it, take it. That's
3: double what Matt Luke and uh, Joe Moorhead are making.
0: Yes, that's that's more than double for Moorhead. He's only making should be making two point seven five this year, or something mm-hmm. like that. Two point seven.
3: He so got some incentives that are going to bump him up?
0: You know, I'm sure he does. I don't know him off the top of my head. I can't imagine that winning eight games and going to a bowl game and winning the Egg Bowl didn't put a, a few hundred grand in his pocket, though.
3: Yeah, maybe uh, maybe so. All right.
0: So I asked Borky earlier
3: how excited he was about Saints Cowboys tonight on a scale of one to 10, and he said, eh, five or six. What about you?
0: I'm, I'm a little more excited. I guess uh, I'm probably seven or eight, but I, I'm I'm just naturally more excitable than old Borky who hates everything. Um, <laughs> for me, you know, I like it's it's a good matchup. Plus, I've got you know, the, I missed last week's Saints game, so you know, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm behind. So I'm looking forward to it.
3: I feel like Borky was at like an eight, nine, maybe even a ten when the Chargers came to the Dome a few weeks ago. Weren't you, Michael? Or do you never get that excited about anything? The Chargers? You mean the Rams? I'm sorry, the Rams. The Rams. The other L.A. You knew what I
0: meant. I I was fired up for the Rams game because that was the best two teams in the NFL. And and the better team showed.
4: Yeah, I don't think I looked away from the television. I think my neck was permanently in that same position for a few hours. That was fun, man.
3: Hey, coming up next, Lee Sterling from Paramount Sports. We'll get some picks going into the weekend. He's got a 50-unit play coming up. will tell you more about it when we come back in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. An arrest has been made in Louisville for the guy who claims he was making a joke, a bad joke, albeit, but a joke nonetheless with regard to Jeff Brom and burning down a school, the high school that they attended. We'll get to that story coming up in just a bit. Right now... Lee Sterling from Paramount Sports is on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Hello, Lee. Lee
5: That's a crazy there. story, isn't it? Isn't it crazy? <laughs> Some people just take things take a little too far.
3: 29-year-old Thor Wiljanen has been charged with felony terroristic threatening over an alleged threat related to Purdue football coach, Jeff Brom not coming home to Louisville. Wow. It's insane. Um you got a big play coming up this weekend, don't you?
5: Yeah, yeah, we we hit that one 3 weeks ago. We had that Green Bay play that uh Laying nine and a half to Miami, they won thirty-one to twelve. This this could be the last biggie of the year. So, just always looking for the right situations. Found one in the NFL. Not a high-profile game, but you know, so just you gotta you gotta find the right coaching mismatch. You gotta find a. Situation, you know, maybe a team, you know, is, is ready to play another team. You know, might be a little high on the hog, so uh, found that. And if they want to get involved, just go to the website. They can purchase the game individually. Come with me for the weekend, or uh, or come with me through the Super Bowl. Just use that coupon code, save two hundred on that. It's just four hundred ninety seven dollars on my phone service. There's a lot of football to be played. We we still have championship week this week. We got four weeks of the NFL. We got 41 bowl games, NFL playoffs, and Super Bowl goes all the way till February. So, they want to get involved. Use coupon code save 200 and on 50 unit plays. uh, 13 and two, my lifetime, 27 years. So, uh, pretty darn good, and I'm willing to to lay it on the line again. ParamountSports.com.
1: So,
3: in 27 years, you've only done 15 of these 50 unit plays. Right. Wow. Yeah. Pick your so spots, you
5: gotta, huh? you got to be patient. you got to be patient. And if you're patient, I mean, there was one year, One year, I think it went two or three years in a row one time, didn't have 50-unit play, then came back and then hit like four or five in a row. So uh, we're in a roll with these games.
3: Yeah, there you go. So let's talk about some of these college games uh, okay. this weekend. AAC championship game. UCF is now without Mackenzie Milton. Uh, they are hosting Memphis, who's got a really good running game. Uh, the passing game's okay, but Memphis's running game's been outstanding this year. UCF a three and a half point favorite. How different are they without Mackenzie Milton?
5: Well, he's top five quarterback in college football. I mean, he's a difference maker without him long term. You know, they they'd probably lose three games this year. But here's what I've noticed. People will play against Teams that have their star go out the first game, and that's not when you want to do it. If you want to play against UCF, I think the time to do it is in a bowl game. I think they're going to play super hard as a team for their fallen leader. And watch Daryl Mack. I went to one of their spring games. He's pretty darn good. He's a junior. Not like he. It's his. It's his first rodeo, and the kid's composed. You saw he came in and did a good job last week. And. Memphis—they're going to have to run the football. I mean, Daryl Henderson—not a lot of people know about this kid, but he's number two in the college football, averaging 156 yards per game. Problem is, I just can't trust their defense. They've given up 35 to South Alabama, who's a bottom feeder; 41 to East Carolina; 40 to Tulane; and 65 to Missouri. Big game, playing for their fallen leader. Give me UCF here, 35-28. 35-28,
3: so a touchdown win for UCF at home against Memphis in the AAC championship game. The one that I can't wait for, it's an 11 a.m. kickoff. They're playing it in Dallas at uh, at AT AT&T Stadium, home of the Cowboys. Not at Fair Park, not not the Cotton Bowl, but it's a rematch of the Red River rivalry. Earlier this year, Texas wins 48-45. They had to hang on for dear life at the end of that game. Oklahoma is a seven-and-a-half-point favorite. We know that offense is fantastic. Mm -hmm. We also know that defense is kind of like Swiss cheese. What do we do with this? Oklahoma is a a seven-and-a-half-point favorite.
5: You know, when things go wrong, I understand teams making a change, but when you go from Mike Stoops to Ruffin McNeil, I don't think it's an upgrade. Ruffin McNeil, if you remember his last two years, before he moved on to East Carolina, he was at Texas Tech. Their defense was trash. Goes to East Carolina. They're not very good. Now he's back, uh, you know, as a line coach, and he gets elevated to defensive coordinator, and not like he's done any great shake there. In fact, Uh, Their best game the last four games is when they gave up 40 points to Kansas. Kansas' offense, you can sometimes go an entire game and not see them throw the ball 20 yards down the field. So uh, they have some real problems here. At least Texas is the one team in in the Big 12 that plays a lick of defense. In fact, they're giving up 25 points per game. But uh, Texas just seems to have Oklahoma's number. They've covered six straight in the rivalry. I love Kyler Murray. Uh you know, he's definitely if not the best, the second best quarterback in college football, thirty seven T D passes, eleven running the football, he has a great line. I love Brown, but Texas has two receivers that'll go in the first round. Erlinger, this 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 kid is just, I mean, battle tested, running and throwing the football. I like Texas. Same score, forty eight, forty five, long team's favorite.
3: Oh, wow, 48-45. Yep. So uh, exact same score as the last two ti- uh, Last time these two teams met. To your point about Ruffin McNeil, they changed coordinators. They changed the guy calling the plays. It's not like they picked up five free agents right. midseason. Yeah. <laughs>
5: has so, out too
3: well. Sa- sa- same guys out there trying to tackle and trying right. to cover, and they're just not doing it very well.
5: It's like, it's uh, like, it's like trying to put a Band-Aid on a gunshot wound. wound. It's not going to work
3: doesn't work. Ohio State-Northwestern, Big Ten championship game. Ohio State, most impressive they've been all season long last week against Michigan. But really it was maybe the first time that they've been impressive all season long.
5: Yeah, Ohio State and Washington, we finally saw teams that a lot of people had hyped up a lot. And and they played their A game. A little bit easier for college kids to come back after a tough Loss and loss then to get up and play their A game two weeks in a row. So you watch Northwestern live or on tape, and you're watching them, you're like, wow, there's not many good guys on this team. A lot of these guys are going to be my bosses. Maybe two or three guys will go in the first four or five rounds in the next three or four years. But they just, you know, some the, the of these parts is better than, than these individual players. And uh, this team together, they play defense. Uh, giving up just 18 points per game in Big Ten play. They play really well against the best teams. They only lost to Michigan by three, Notre Dame by ten, and that was a three-point game with a couple minutes to go in the game. And they beat Iowa, Michigan State, and Purdue. So. Um, you know they played Ohio State twice in the last six years. In 2013, this was a five and seventeen. They only lost by ten, forty to thirty. In 2016, they were getting twenty six and a half, and they lost just twenty four to twenty here. And uh, Pat Fitzgerald, maybe the best underdog coach in college football, twenty eight and eleven. The last thirty nine games as a road underdog. I have Ohio State winning, people saying they need to run it up to get into a a bowl game, but I just think there's a lot of pressure on them. Ohio State wins 31-21, but Northwestern covers.
0: So
3: 31-21 is a 14-point favorite. That does not cover the number. So, so far you've got UCF minus the 3.5, Texas getting plus 7.5, winning straight up, and Northwestern covering but losing the game. All right, SEC championship game, Bama and Georgia, 13 is the number on this game.
5: Yeah, and I went back, I, my database only goes back to, to 1985, and I, I couldn't find a team that had scored, how about this, Had outscored their opponents by at least 20 points in every game of the year, and then I found a stat uh, through one of my stat services. Uh, the last team a uh, time a team outscored every opponent they had that year by 20 points was in 88. That wasn't 1988, it was 1888 in oh, So <laughs> Did you hear that stat?
3: Yeah, yeah, got to go. Eighteen eighty-eight, the last time prior to this year, somebody outscored every opponent by twenty or more.
5: Just one hundred and thirty years, so it I think the way to get to Alabama to have a chance or either beat them or stay in the game, you got to get pressure on Tua and Georgia. That's not their strength. They they ranked number one hundred and one in team sacks out of one hundred and thirty teams, and they rank one hundred and eighteen out of 130 teams in tackles for loss here, both last in the SEC. So uh, some people judge this game. They'll say, well, Georgia only lost by three. But when Tua came in started the third quarter and for that one possession of overtime, they did outscore Georgia 26-10. So I know Georgia's got revenge, and uh, but I just think that, that Alabama just just too solid here and hit on too many big plays here. And maybe a little better coach, give me Bama 45-21.
3: All right, so Bama covers the big number. Hey, we've got 30 seconds.
5: New Orleans-Dallas, is that going to be a fun one tonight? I think it is. I think Dallas is going to come to play. I think, uh, you know, now that Ezekiel Elliott's running the football and they got a passing game, should be a fun game. So uh, we'll give them that. Uh, and also the Middle Tennessee UAB game for free. Just call 800 400 Like I said, they want to get the 50-unit play. It's available at ParamountSports.com. <laughs>
3: again on sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Thursday afternoon Richard Cross Brian Haydad Michael Borkey glad to have you along heydad's on the Farm bureau phone line check out favorites.com and go with the home team hey when will football start doing stuff again in Starkville
0: I imagine after uh, you know Sunday they'll find out their bowl destination. Uh, and then they'll, they'll start prep. You know, they'll start practice not long after that. So I would imagine
3: finals are next week. Is that right?
0: Yeah. So the week after that, probably. So the week yeah. of the tenth.
3: Gotcha. That makes sense.
0: I mean, that sounds right. I don't know for sure, but that sounds right.
3: Yeah. Just workout stuff, I guess. Um, during this amount of time. So do yeah. do you, you want to hear the um, the Louisville deal?
0: Uh, I heard about the Louisville deal.
3: No, no, no. The arrest. We just touched on that a second ago, so, yeah, so they I mean, I made was, an arrest. I, I
0: listened to it. I, I was listening.
3: Okay. Well, I mean, we just didn't go very deep <laughs> into it. There was more to the story, and I didn't know if you wanted to hear like the rest of the stories, Paul Harvey might say.
0: person is dumb. The end.
3: So this guy, he's a 29-year-old yeah, who, who went to Trinity, which is the high school in Louisville, same high school that Jeff Brom went to. By the way, led them to a state championship, stayed home, threw for 5,500 yards. He's a hero in that part of the state of Kentucky, or at least he was until yesterday. His
4: dad also was a football coach there. Gracious.
3: Mm -hmm. Felony terroristic threatening for Twitter post about Trinity High School on Wednesday, prompting administrators to cancel Thursday's classes. His defense attorney said this was not a threat. This was an attempt at humor. An attempt at satire, a poor attempt, but it was meant unseriously and is not a threat to the community or the school. Is that a defense that will hold up when you have screenshots that say, "If Jeff Brom doesn't come, we burn down Trinity"?
0: Probably not. Probably. Apparently, not, I
3: mean. there was there were additional tweets that were also deleted that contained the words "gas can" and "matches."
0: I mean, it, it, people are just dumb. They're just dumb. There are just some people on this earth that are just dumb. And this guy's one of them. There's just things you can't say in this world. You can't Today. say them. But he said them, and now he's going to go to jail.
3: I mean, in the same way that you can't say bomb on an airplane, bomb, 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 right. bomb, bomb, bomb. Right, you you can't, can't go on Twitter, even in a joking fashion, and threaten to burn down a school. I you did. might have could have done that 20 years ago, although Twitter didn't exist. But, I mean, you could have been like, "Ooh, I'm going to burn the school down if this coach didn't come. Ha, 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 ha. Everybody would have been like, come on, man, that's not even funny. Right. Now you do that, and you get charged with felony. It's a Class D felony terroristic threatening. I did find it funny, knowing that
4: the threat has been neutralized. When you look at the announcement tweet from the school... So they put out their classes have been canceled tomorrow with a link to their press release. I mean, a hundred replies of their students celebrating the fact that they didn't have to go to school the next day while completely ignoring the reason why. I mean, they were thrilled with the fact that they didn't have to go to school tomorrow or today. Yeah,
3: yeah, I'm with you. Dumb was the uh, should be the operative word. Alright, we got yep. some baseball news today out of Starkville. Mississippi State has officially released its 2019 schedule. In week 2, uh, I think that jumps out early, they will uh, will host Southern Miss in a yep. uh, return series from the start of last season. What jumps out at you from the uh, from the schedule? They're at home the first month
0: after last year. That's the first thing I noticed that you know, you remember spending last year with all the construction going on. Uh, On the road, Um, so this year, you know, getting to come back home, obviously, that's going to be big for Mississippi State. Um, In the non-conference, you've got some weekend series against teams that that aren't great. Southern's very good, obviously, but Youngstown State and Maine, those are not going to be big RPI boosts. Obviously, when you play in the SEC, you don't worry too much about RPI. Um, They do have a midweek game with East Carolina, which I found very interesting. East Carolina, you you know all about Cliff Godwin. They've they've Mm -hmm. put together a great program out there. Then when you get into SEC play, I think the big thing to notice is that you don't play Vanderbilt. Uh, If I had to do a prediction today, they might be my top team in the East. Um, You start off the season, though, with Florida, going to Florida. That's not going to be – that's no cakewalk, obviously. And then the season ends very tough uh, at Texas A&M, at Ole Miss, and then South Carolina at home. That's nine games that you talk about at the end of the season when you want to be playing your best. That's nine games against really tough opponents. So a tough schedule, but I think MSU has the team to to get through it. They got to find a second starter to go along with Ethan Small, uh, and they need all those those freshmen who were so good a year ago to to you know have a sophomore bump, not a sophomore slump. Uh, but if they get all that, and of course with Jake Mangum, he's going to drag this team as far as he can. So I, I feel good about this team. I like the schedule, and like I said, you know it's 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 great to have them back at home after. So much last year being on the road. And I think that's what contributed a lot to that slow start. In his 10th
4: year obviously. of eligibility, Jake Mangum is going to be a star at Mississippi State.
0: <laughs> Jake Mangum is already a star. Yeah, I, mean, the, I, I, I would say the face of the university right now. Most people his age have retired from
4: their professional careers in baseball.
0: There are That, that, that is true.
3: That is true. So Mangum hit 351. comes back as a senior. He had uh, 33 ribbies, 22 doubles, three triples, three home runs. I think two of those home runs came in postseason play last year. So right. what is it, eight of nine position starters return? Is that is that right?
0: Yeah. yeah the, the, Luke Alexander is the only starter not returning. He had eligibility, and one of those situations we probably never know what happened, but when we were told by Chris Limonis, he is no longer eligible. So okay. I don't know what that means. They didn't go into any further detail of that. But the thing is, they played enough guys last year that whoever replaces them is likely going to have started some games for Mississippi State. So, yeah, a ton of experience coming back in the batting order. The Bulldogs should be one of the better hitting teams in the conference this year.
3: All right, so Luke Alexander primarily played short last year, right? Yeah. Okay, so it was, it was Alexander and Stovall up the middle. Who replaces mm-hmm. Alexander at short?
0: Maybe Jordan Westberg, who played some third base last year. Uh, Maybe Gunnar Halter, who's a junior college transfer coming in, who put up big power numbers. He hit over 20 home runs a season ago in JUCO. Um, I think they feel pretty good about him there. I I just think think it's going to end up being Westberg, and then we'll see what happens with Halter. He may end up being the DH. But coming out of fall practice, that was the word. Those were the two guys sort of battling for that spot.
3: All right, so the – I mean – I'm not trying to grill you on this, but if you went opening day outfield, is it McNamee, Allen, and Mangum?
0: Uh, Allen might stay I don't know if he would stay at first or not. I mean Rowdy Jordan could go there, but Rowdy Jordan could also play on the infield. They have some some versatile guys that can go infield, outfield, but here's what we know. Wait, Ma- wait, hold a and-
3: am, am I crazy or did Tanner was it two years ago when Tanner Allen played some of the outfield?
0: Well, Tanner Allen was a true freshman last year, so no, that's not right.
3: Cody uh, Brown think, was there two uh, years. Who ago. am I thinking? I'm thinking about somebody else. Guy that played in right know. field 2 years ago in the regional for Mississippi State. Anyway, I, I would completely Brown? blew that.
0: But uh yeah, I, I don't know where Allen's going to going to end up. Uh but I mean Mangum and McNamee are locks, they're going to start for sure and then state would have sort of figured it out from there. And of course, the other thing, you know, the, the other thing MSU fans are wanting to see is uh JT uh, JT again. They for turning down first round money to go to the, from the Dodgers. To come to Mississippi State, I think he's going to get a crack at that starting rotation. I wouldn't be completely surprised if he's in the weekend rotation by the uh, by the start of SEC play. I mean, he's a, he's a first-round MLB pick. So, I mean, the talent is obviously not the question. Uh, just have to see how he reacts against, you know, the better competition. But I heard good things about him coming out. Again, another guy I heard a lot about coming out of fall practice.
3: Ethan in Guntown is right. He says, you're thinking about the guy from Amory, and that's exactly who it is. I just can't for the life of me come up with his name right now. Shark out a lot, but then he played better at the uh, the end of the year.
0: Anyway. So, if that would have been on the uh, twenty seventeen team, is who you are thinking of?
3: Yeah, um, Tanner Pool is that right?
0: Tanner Pool is who you are thinking of. Yes, yeah. yeah he That's was a what. So, I wasn't year, completely
3: crazy. I was looking at Tanner Allen's yeah. name and thinking about Tanner Pool. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: Tanner okay. Pool. He's gone though. He was a senior last year.
3: Yeah. Um. This text comes in. This is an interesting one from. Uh, 205 area code team will miss Henderson more than we think. One of the best pitching coaches in the country. Is there anything to that?
0: We'll see. I mean, I, I, I like Henderson. Uh, you know, he and I think that never mind being a, a great pitching coach, I the way he handled that team last year. I mean, I, I'm surprised he didn't find another job this year. My guess is he will in, in the very near future because he just did such a fantastic job. Um, but that, the guy they brought in, uh, Scott Foxhall from uh, North Carolina State, he has yeah. a great reputation as well. So, you know, we'll see. But, I mean, here's the thing. There's been so much coaching instability in Starkville the past few years, and yet they've gone to three straight Super Regionals in a College World Series and won an SEC title. So may, maybe it's a little bit foolproof. I don't know. They're, 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 we'll see what happens. But I think they like the staff they have.
3: Kind of tangential here. Um you remember Wes Johnson, that was pitching coach a couple of years ago, left yeah, Mississippi State, went now, to Arkansas. Right? He's in the big leagues yeah. now.
0: Yeah, he went to the Twins. I saw that.
3: Yeah. Um, last question. This from Bradley in Marietta. Did the kid the Braves drafted this year um, end up at state? Said no, I think he was. Stewart
0: is going to get back into the MLB draft next year. He is not coming to Mississippi State. Okay. There we go.
3: A little baseball stuff on the 29th of November. I know the lay of the land. Right now on the Farm Bureau phone line, check out favorites.com and go with the home team. John Harris on your radio right now. Johnny, what's up, my man?
1: How you doing, Richard? Yeah, feeling uh, feeling pretty good down here in Houston. And I uh, hope all is well there, my man.
3: Are, uh, are Are the Houston Texans ever going to lose again?
1: <laughs> I, I, look, uh, after going 0-3, uh, and I think we actually talked when we were 0-3, and I remember telling you, we, you know, look, we just got to get one. Just get one under your belt, and then, you know, let's see what happens. But in no way, shape, or form did I ever imagine that 8-3 was on the horizon. I thought this team was capable of being 8-3 when the season started. And that, you know, you play out the schedule, and you think, oh, you know, you win this one, you win this one, okay, maybe this one will be tough. So I thought 8-3 and three was possible, but I didn't think it would be 0-3 to 8-3. and three. But, you know, we started doing some things a little bit better. And, you know, relatively speaking, we've been healthy. Knock on wood, we'll stay healthy. So I think that's been a big thing. Uh, it was a big thing last year for us in a negative direction. This year, hopefully, we we stay healthy with the exception of Will Fuller. But, you know, we played some really good, consistent football. You know, I was just thinking about it before I came on, Richard. And, you know, the the thing about it is – When you're a good football team, you do the things you're supposed to do well. You tackle well. You make key blocks. You you don't have mental errors. You just do the you do the right thing. And you know when teams are losing, you look up and you go, "Oh man, they busted the coverage." Or like it just us on Monday night. The Tennessee Titans blew a tackle, and Lamar Miller goes 97 yards, and it's a back-breaking play. So it's it's what seemingly are the simple things, the fundamentals. But we're doing them pretty well. We tackle well. We don't make a lot of mental errors, and we're we're playing hard and playing physical, and that's going to give you a shot in any league that you play in.
3: Yeah, and in a division where even after the slow start, there was an opportunity to kind of kind of make up some ground because nobody ran away with the division.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And the you know, thing is, after you know, we were coming back from Tennessee after week two. And we're on the plane flying home, and we're watching Jacksonville take New England to the woodshed. In Jacksonville, week two, and we're like, oh, man, this is going to be rough. I mean, we just, oh, I mean, we're all shaking our heads, looking at each other, going, uh, it's a long year, upcoming. And in the span of eight, nine weeks, all of a sudden Jacksonville's firing an offensive coordinator. They're benching Blake Bortles. They're looking for answers. They've been pointing fingers for the last five, six weeks and here we are on an eight-game winning streak. And it's, it's kind of bizarre, but, you know, I think when we looked at the division, and, and you and I talked about this, I, the one thing I said about Jacksonville is, we'll see, how, we'll see how the Jaguars deal with success. And with Tennessee, I never was really sold on Tennessee from the beginning. But I thought if the Colts, with Andrew Luck, you know, if Luck is healthy, you know, they're always going to be a wild card. Well, the Colts are better than anybody thought, even me. And they're, they're coming. And I think in the end, there may be two teams that go to the playoffs out of the division. It just may, may not be the two teams everybody thought, the Jags and Titans. It may be the Texans and the Colts. But we still got five games to go, so still a lot of season in the NFL. And we'll see if some young guys can get over that rookie wall. Uh, they seem to hit it a little bit on Monday night, and hopefully they'll break out of it and start making some plays here down the stretch. John,
3: so many times we we look at quarterbacks, we look at skill position players, and and we get wowed by them. And there's no question that the NFL is a quarterback league. But is what Indianapolis has done this year with their offensive line through the draft a reminder, maybe a reminder that we all need, that you better be good up front if you want to have sustained success?
1: There's no doubt. No doubt. And I've known Chris Ballard for a long time, the GM of the Indianapolis Colts. And Chris is a firm believer. Even though he coached the secondary when he was in college, he scouted the secondary when he was with the Chicago Bears, he was instrumental in bringing Marcus Peters to the Chiefs. He knows that up front is where it's at. Even though he is around all those skill players, he's like, Johnny, we don't satisfy our offensive and defensive line. If you don't win on the lines, you're not going to win you're just not going to do it. If you're winning without those, you're winning with smoke and mirrors. So it was not surprising in some sense that Ballard drafted Quentin Nelson, that he then in the second round went after Darius Leonard to find a guy that would solidify the front seven at the linebacker position. He's been even better than anybody thought. And then he drafted Braden Smith of Auburn, and now you see Nelson and Smith, and then you got Ryan Kelly at center who was drafted a couple years ago. There's no question that you look at the Colts' resurgence and you point, yes, at Andrew Luck, but you also look at the fact that in the month of November, Andrew Luck's been hit five times. Five, now, not counting when he's catching the football, but five times when he drops back to throw. Richard, I've seen that line for the last how many ever games in years. There's no way. And they would be lucky if they had a game where five quarterbacks hit in a game. And they've done it in a month. So it's absolutely a signal to the NFL, you better have your business taken care of up front on both sides of the line. That's when you're going to win this thing. yes, you've got to have quarterbacks. You've got to have a guy. And we're, we're living proof of that. But the reason, one of the reasons why we're 8-3 and three is because our offensive line started playing up probably above its, its talent level, and they started playing really well together. And that's really gotten us where we want to go. And you know our defense line was going to be great. I mean, we got great players, but our offensive line was always a question mark. And until that group got together, we weren't going to go anywhere. Well, it started playing better, probably better than it's played in a couple of years, and that really has kind of bolstered us through this eight-game
5: streak.
3: Sports Talk Mississippi on the Farm Bureau phone line. John Harris from the Houston Texans, HoustonTexans.com. He is the sideline reporter for the Houston Texans radio network. Scouting background, coaching background as well. John, I want us to transition to, to some college football discussion as well. We'll talk about some players in the state of Mississippi. But kind of as a, as a, a first, and we've only got about a minute and a half or two minutes until the break. It was announced a little while ago that Jordan Thomas, the quarterback for Ole Miss, is going to play in the East-West Shrine Game. One, are you surprised that that's the game and not the Senior Bowl that he'll be participating in? And then two, from kind of an NFL standpoint, is there a difference in those two?
1: Yeah, well, I don't know if there's much of a difference. To be honest, I, I think there's more of a there's more of a higher profile spotlight, Richard, on the Senior Bowl. I think. That It's always been that way. But, look, we saw Jimmy Garoppolo come out of the East-West Shrine game a couple of years ago, and because he was outstanding at the East-West Shrine game, they invited him to the Senior Bowl. And then at the Senior Bowl, he was, he was really good at the Senior Bowl. So I do think there is a higher profile on the Senior Bowl. I am a little surprised that he's going to the East-West Shrine game. But at that point, there is an opportunity – that if he shines and has a really good Shrine Bowl week, that he can then get an invitation to go to the Senior Bowl. Look, the, the, the Senior Bowl is taking uh, uh, Trace McSorley from Penn State. Now, I love everything about Trace McSorley, the football player. He's not going to be an NFL quarterback. It's not going to happen. But Jim Magan, the uh, senior executive of the Senior Bowl, said, I wasn't not going to bring McSorley because of all he meant to college football. And this is a good stage for him. Look, I would have taken Tamu instead of uh, instead of McSorley because I think Tamu at least got potential to be in the league going forward. I don't think McSorley ever really has a chance. So hmm. sometimes those things get to be political, but in that sense, I think George's going to have a good opportunity to shine ball, maybe an opportunity to get to the team if he has a great week
3: there. All right. We're going to talk more with John Harris after this quick timeout. We'll talk about some of the players in the state of Mississippi who are about to be transitioning away from college football and toward the NFL, and what do they need to do between now and the draft in April. It's Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. Good news. All clear at UMMC in Jackson. There is not an active shooter situation. We'll tell you more after this.
0: In the game, Sports Talk Mississippi.
3: Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Just a quick alert or a quick update on the situation in Jackson at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. At 4.42 this afternoon, a text message, a three-part text message, went out to employees, staff, students, and uh, people that were there at the hospital advising of an active shooter situation. Turned out that was not actually the case. Uh, Law enforcement, Jackson Law Enforcement, have reported or revealed that there was a shooting outside of the hospital, that it was not an active shooter situation. And uh, the uh, University of Mississippi Medical Center ASB Twitter feed uh, said, law uh, enforcement emergency is ended. Stand by for more information from UMMC Public Affairs. So there is a current all clear, uh, at least with regard to the active shooter situation. So, uh, hope that uh, News Mississippi will continue to keep you updated on any uh, any more developing elements to that story. Certainly, if you're in that part of Jackson, avoid it if you can. If you cannot avoid it, please, please be aware of your surroundings and uh, make sure that you're paying attention. Um, according to Jackson Police, two children, ages 1 and 3, were shot in front of the University of Mississippi Medical Center in the car with their mother. So certainly a bad story. Uh, We return now to John Harris from the um, Houston Texans, HoustonTexans.com. Sorry about that, John, needed to get a little news update in there as well. Um, So players in the state of Mississippi, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, that are potential first-rounders, potential first two-day guys – on the Ole Miss side of things, Greg Little obviously in the mix, AJ Brown in the mix. I'm really curious about DK Metcalf, who has declared uh, that he's not coming back to school. He is going through uh, the draft process, but a pretty serious injury, and may not be able to work out. You know, prior to the draft, what does that mean for him?
1: Well, that's an interesting point, and I'll I, I give you the name Corey Davis. Corey Davis with the Tennessee Titans is – I hate seeing him twice a year, I'll be honest with you. I can't stand seeing him. But when he was coming out of Western Michigan, <laughs> I i knew this guy could play. But he had hurt his, his ankle, I think it was. and I think it was his ankle. He had hurt late in the year. And he had surgery. And he was not able to work out for anybody throughout the entire draft process. All he really had – was his game film, and then he had, I think, a short workout right, I think maybe like a week before the draft, if that. Not, nothing, I mean, hardly at all. But because Corey Davis was 6'3, 6'4, 215 pounds, does that sound familiar? And I'm sure DK's a little bit bigger. Does. I, you know, teams were like, look, we'll take this guy and we'll, you know, we'll have him ready to go for the 20, you know, nineteen season. Now, Corey did struggle a little bit in 2017, but it wasn't because of that injury. He had another injury, had a hamstring injury, and it really kind of set him back. But at the end of 2017, when the Titans got in the playoffs, Corey Davis was the guy. He had two touchdowns against the Patriots, and he thought, man, he's going to turn around have a really good 2018, and he's had some really good ball games. He had a nice game against us the other night, had a touchdown catch of almost 50 yards. That's the kind of guy that I see when I look at D.K. Metcalf, because he didn't get to do anything in the draft process, but NFL scouts are different. I know a lot of people are like, wait a second, this guy only caught X number of balls, or hey, he only had this number of yards. That means nothing to NFL scouts. Nothing. It doesn't okay. matter what a guy did in college numbers-wise. And that's what DK is. He's got the size, he's got the speed, he's got the athleticism. He's got every elite trait you're looking for in a receiver. And because of that, he's going to get drafted well before anybody that played all, you know, 12 games, a bowl game, and then worked out the combine, and then did the pro day workout. He's going to get drafted because he's bigger, stronger, faster than anybody that's going to be in the receiving group. End of story. And I mean, that's, that really is it. Now, when you watch him play, you realize he's got next level game. And, and that's going to be the key is to show, look, he's, you know, the injury isn't going to be able to set him back. Permanently, it's not going to make him a a four seven five guy in the forty going forward. You know that that I think is going to end ha- up being the key is that his, if he can show that he's at least going to be healthy coming back and the projections are good, he'll yeah. be a top fifteen pick for sure. I was going to ask
3: how intensive is the medical evaluation process when you're dealing with an injury like that, like a, with a, a neck injury.
1: Yeah, huge. I mean, it's it's massive, and and they're gonna they're going to make sure that there's, there's, there's nothing going forward. Look, there might be a team that passes on them because they just can't get comfortable with the medicals. And, and there might be a team. Now, there have been teams, and, and, and I, sit in, I sit in the building of one that – and I'll give you a case now. It's a, diff, it's a little different situation. But Bruce Ellington was waived by the New York Jets because they didn't pass him on a physical. Bruce had been released – by the 49ers. He went to the Jets. He was claimed by the Jets on waivers. And they t- they did a physical, and they said, nope, we can't do it. He came to Houston. He did a physical with our guys. And because we've had uh, some experience with the injury that Bruce had, we said, yeah, we'll take him. And Bruce ended up being a, a decent player for us for about two years. And it was the other hamstring that ended up being an issue. But my point on all that is different NFL teams – are going to look at medical issues differently because in certain cases, those teams may have dealt with an injury like that before. They may know exactly how to deal with it and treat it and also to rehab it on uh, an ongoing basis. So I think that's going to be something where it may depend on the team. So yeah, there might be a team that passes, but he's going to get put through the ringer when he gets to the combine. All 32 teams are going to poke, prod, do whatever they've got to do, get every single test, talk to the Ole Miss doctors, they're going to do every ounce of background check on him because he is the type of player that you want to have going forward. He's a the, he's the Josh Gordon. Uh, he's a, he's a, a Devin Funches with even more receiving ability. He's that kind of special player. So he's probably going to get even more attention from the medical staff that he runs into at the Combine and beyond.
3: John, I know you love linemen. And so let's talk about three that Mississippi State's got. I'll just set Greg Little aside right now. I think he's considered by most to be a first-round talent on the offensive line for Ole Miss. Offensive lineman for Mississippi State, Elton Jenkins, but then also those two guys on the defensive line for Mississippi State. Montez Sweat, the edge rusher. Jeffrey Simmons, uh, the nose. So athletic, so gifted, and seemingly has kind of made his way back from the incident prior to his freshman year at Mississippi State ha- has been a model citizen through his time in college. Can all of that be in the rearview mirror and not affect his draft status?
1: Well, I'll, I'll start with Simmons because and I know people won't want to hear this but the video will come back up. There's no doubt. It will come back up during the draft process. Now, you can, as you're sitting listening to me say that, and you may think well that's not fair or, or good. It should. I mean, either way, that you feel it's gonna get brought back up because they're gonna dredge up and by they, I mean the NFL. The NFL's gonna dredge up every single ounce of background that these guys have. And that is an unfortunate incident for Jeffrey going forward. As a pure football player, Simmons to me is one of the top ten football players in this draft, draft eligible players. He can play anywhere up and down the line. I think he's team versatile. I think he is as athletic as you're going to find up there. And the body type, I mean, he's exactly what you're looking for. But the video's coming up. It will. Okay. I, I guarantee it will come up because there are going to be draft analysts that don't know anything about Jeffrey Simmons at this point, and then they're going to find out, and it's going to, it's going to come up. I'm just That's going to happen. So everybody brace themselves for it. And when the discussion happened a few years ago, that discussion is going to happen again if you can happen at the NFL level. So Jeffrey's going to have to encounter that. You know, but Joe Mixon got drafted in the second round by the Cincinnati Bengals. And he was a model citizen for the next couple of years for the most part. He had a couple of incidents. And Simmons had none. And so I think that's going to help his case going forward. But it will come up. Montez Sweat, to me, is a slammed-up first-rounder. I think okay. a guy at that size, that length, pass rush ability, I think he's a slammed-up first-rounder. You just don't find guys of that body type and with that kind of athleticism, that could go get the quarterback. And if you can't do that in the NFL, you're not, you're not going to be on the field on third down in particular. And that's really going to kill you. I think Jenkins is a really interesting one to me. But the one thing that I realized about the NFL is, is if you're not, you know, a Trent Williams or a Dwayne Brown where you're just a left tackle and, you know, you just lock guys up and you can live on an island all on your own, you better be able to do a number of different things. You better be able to play different positions. You better be able to switch your feet, play left and right. And I think that's something that Jenkins is going to be able to do, which will absolutely give him an opportunity to play in this league. The question becomes, which position fits him best? Which I think would be a good thing for him, because it opens it up to a lot of versatility, which is going to help his cause.
3: Fantastic stuff, John. Uh, It's great analysis, and look forward to uh, spending some more time with you between now and Oh, I don't know, the end of the NFL season, but also between now and the draft. Always a pleasure, my friend.
1: Absolutely. Anytime, Richard. Take care, buddy.